Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Amen. Amen. Well, awesome. I hope you recognize that we have a new person up front. Uh, Pastor Philip couldn't be here with us this weekend. So uh, uh, I'll give you a hint. Two out of the three ladies on stage this morning were still teenagers. I'll let you decide which ones they were. But <laughs> glory, God bless her. She uh, just graduated from high school. And so uh, she and Paige are holding on the fort as our powerful teenagers. Men, you did an excellent job holding your own percussion. And I heard a couple of riffs on the bass. Excellent. Thank you, guys. You have represented all the hard work that Pastor Philip has done very well. God bless you guys. Excellent. Let's encourage them. Very, very good. Well, we're glad all of you are here, uh, especially this week. We've been talking about Esther, walking through the book of Esther, the, our heroes, Esther and Mordecai. Remember, they didn't start out as heroes. You remember the whole story. They became our heroes. That's what gives us the encouragement to, to keep going. We, neither you nor I, we didn't start out as heroes either. But if God can use a guy like Mordecai, if God can use a young teenage girl like Esther, imagine what he can do through you and me. And so we've been walking through this story. It's been, it's been a rough walk. Uh, we've seen some high points and we've seen some very low points. And last week as we finished, it was dark. It was bad. And it could only get worse. But God introduced us to chapter 6. And that's why we're going to dig in. As I was studying and preparing, getting everything ready for this week, I was thinking a lot about surprises, you know? Because that's what's going to come up. Uh, hint, hint, there's a big surprise in chapter 6, especially in chapter 7. But we'll get to that in just a minute. But as I was thinking about surprise, I thought, wow, how funny is that? Have you, ever, have you ever been really surprised by something or someone? Maybe someone popped out behind a door, someone you weren't expecting. Or maybe a gift, a surprise gift you weren't expecting to receive or maybe, maybe a surprise party. Everyone screamed surprise and you had no idea it was coming. Maybe it was a, a surprise retirement party and you didn't even know you were retiring. Whatever it was, oh good, you are awake. I was a little concerned. <laughs> Whatever it was, it was fun. It was exciting. You had no idea it was coming. This week, uh, one of our, our church members, Ski, he had a really big surprise. I'll tell you about it in just a little bit. His daughter, who lives in a, on the other side of the world, was not supposed to be coming home anytime soon. She shows up on his door. I won't tell you all the details. You'll have to ask him. But it did involve a hazmat suit and surgical gloves. But uh, the rest you'll have to find out from Melissa and from Ski. But anyways, he was so surprised. He had no idea. He, he thought maybe his other daughter, Leslie, had brought over a friend from work. He walked out there, and when she pulled off that hazmat suit, he was completely surprised. He had no idea how much work and planning and preparation and tickets that were bought, time that was gotten off of work, uh, travel papers that were organized, a handing off of duties and responsibilities back home where she lives and works. All that had to go into that one moment, he had no idea. All he knew was there was his awesome daughter. He was surprised. He loved every minute of it. But just because Ski didn't know about all, those plan all that planning, all that preparation, all of the sacrifice that went into it before, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Sure it happened. He just didn't know about it. And that's exactly what's going on in chapter 6, even in chapter 7. There's been all kinds of working, 
all kinds of planning, all kinds of preparation, all kinds of puzzle pieces moving perfectly into place. Mordecai, Esther, even King Xerxes, especially old wicked Haman, they had no idea what was coming. What comes in chapter 6 and 7 is a huge surprise for all the, who could have seen this coming. You'll find out in just a minute. And yet that does not mean that something or someone was moving everything perfectly into place, below the radar, unseen by human eyes, only by God's eyes. So let's dig into the story and find out what this is. Because God brings finally, after five chapters, God's justice is served. What would that look like when God serves his justice? If you have your Bible, open up to Esther chapter 6. We're in verse 1. You can catch it on the screen behind me. If you have your phone, you can aim it at the QR code and the Bible text, but also the sermon notes will all pop up, uh, however you want to do it. Let's, let's dig in. Esther chapter 6, all we need is verse 1 at first because uh, when, we're, when we're seeing how God's justice is served, there's going to be a few sleepless nights along the way. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. So that night, the king, King Xerxes, he could not sleep. So he ordered the book of Chronicles, the record of his own reign, to be brought in and read to him. <laughs> How bad does your insomnia have to be Do you call someone in to read a history book? I mean, I don't know about you, but, but back in junior high, high school history, I mean, <laughs> five minutes in, I was out like a log. I mean, this is what history does to people. It puts them to sleep. I get that, but why in the world would the king need to be put to sleep? What does he have to be worried about? Why would he be unable to fall asleep. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said he was the king and the ruler of 127 provinces, the greatest kingdom that ever existed. But he was not the ruler over 10 minutes of sleep. What did this guy have to be sleepless about? What could keep him up? He had everything. His beautiful queen was back in his life after a, a short pause. He had a full belly. You remember from last week, he had been invited to the banquet, the, the wine banquet of his beautiful wife. He had filled his belly. Not only that, there was plenty of wine. If you want the king, King Xerxes, to come to your party, you better make sure there's plenty of wine. He loved his wine. He had a full belly, lots of wine, and there's nothing to worry about tomorrow because the only thing on his agenda for tomorrow was you guessed it another banquet with plenty of wine along with his best buddy Haman and his beautiful wife uh, uh, Esther what in the world could be wrong with this guy why can't he sleep he's got it good he's got it all he was oblivious he had no idea what was coming. He had no idea why he couldn't sleep. He was so desperate. This guy, he could have grabbed at any possible pleasure he wanted to help him fall asleep, whether that was more food or more drink or, or physical pleasure. Whatever he wanted, he could have grabbed for it. He was so desperate, he grabbed for history books. This guy needs to sleep, and he can't. He was oblivious, but there was a stirring. There was a turmoil in his heart, and he couldn't put his finger on it. But he wasn't the only one that couldn't sleep. Look at verse 4. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole. Mo uh, Haman was in the palace as well. Haman couldn't sleep either. Why couldn't Haman sleep? He's, he's on top of the world. If he's showing up in the king's court, uh, this was either very late at night or very, very early in the morning. We don't know exactly. All we know is it should have been the time for sleeping because the king's trying to sleep. It was definitely not normal office hours. 
Haman's already there. Haman can't sleep either. What's going on in his life? He's at the top of the world. He's second in command. He had not only received one personal invitation to an intimate dinner with the king and the queen, he had received two, and he was on his way to that. He even had a solution for his Mordecai problem. He had built a 75-foot tall pole, and he was just about to impale his arch enemy, Mordecai. There was nothing this guy lacked. He was on top of the world. He had all that he needed, but he couldn't sleep. Why? I think for him it was pride. He was so self-centered, so focused on himself, his own wants, his own desires, what he was missing. And, and really, the list of what he was missing in his life was really, really short. He had it all, but he wanted more. And the more he got, the more he wanted. Until he got everything he wanted, he was going to keep fighting. And his stomach, his heart, his spirit was going to grow and stir and be upset. He was impatiently greedy and selfish and his mind would not stop until he thought he had everything he needed to have but these two guys they weren't the only ones that were sleepless in Susa (laughs) Mordecai look at verse 10 go at once the king commanded Haman get the robe and the horses and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who is sitting at the king's gate Sitting at the king's gate, this courtyard area, this, this area where people come either to judge or to be judged, to get answers or, or to request things from the king. This was the office place, but it was certainly not the office hours. Again, it was either very late at night or very early in the morning, the time when the king normally would sleep. And yet here is not only Haman, but also Mordecai sitting there waiting. Now, of all the guys, at least he had a good reason for not being able to sleep. He had enough reason to have a churning in his spirit. Everything had gone wrong in his life. There were at least a hundred reasons why he couldn't sleep. His life, the life of Esther, the life of his family, and oh yeah, the life of every single Jew living in these 127 provinces was in danger and imminent death, imminent destruction was at hand within the next 12 months. And not only that, He had seen the look in Haman's eyes just one day before, just as Haman was leaving and Mordecai once again would not stand, would not show respect to Haman. This whole Hatfield-McCoy thing was in full swing and Haman's eyes burned hotter than he had ever seen burning. And not just a few hours later, he heard the hammering over at Haman's place and he had peeked over the wall into Haman's backyard where Haman was having a huge a huge pole, 75 feet up in the air, built in his own backyard. 12, 11, 12 months too early. The destruction of the Jews isn't supposed to come to them. He put two and two together, and he knew what was coming. This would be his last day on earth. He was churning. He was upset. It was a, it was a, a, a genuine concern. Something was stirring in all three of these guys' hearts. Something was stirring in all three of these guys' spirits. They could not rest. They could not find peace. How are you sleeping these days? If God is able to bring a stirring in a, in a wicked guy like Haman, in an oblivious guy like Xerxes, in, in, a, in a hero's heart like Mordecai, Imagine what he would do in our hearts. If God is bringing a stirring, we've been talking about this this Esther story, this Mordecai story for six weeks now. 
I've heard it from many of you. Oh, Pastor, God's been speaking to me about this. God's been reminding me about that. God's been uh, offering me or, or pushing me towards the other. God is moving. God is stirring. God is working. If he is blessing you <laughs> with a sleepless night, and I, just, I don't mean just the night you, you had your fourth meal of the day over at Taco Bell. I mean when there's a true stirring in your spirit, God is doing something. Folks, take Take that seriously. Allow God, allow God to steal your sleep. Allow God to get your attention. When that happens, and you know what I mean, you know what I mean, you've had those nights. Allow God to bring you to your knees and to ask God, God, what are you doing? If you, if you could do that for Haman, if you could do that for Xerxes, if you could do that even for superhero spiritual guys like Mordecai, I know you can do it for me. Tell me, what is it? Don't ignore this if God is moving he is moving to prepare you for something big. That big thing is coming. But, but even as God brings his justice, we need to understand that there will be a time of serving in obscurity. Look again at verse number one. So that night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found, recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Verse 3. What honor and recognition was, has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. Let's stop right there. If we're going to see God do big things, make big changes, big switches, bring his justice in a situation in your life, in your family, in your church, in your world, we need to understand that there will even be a time of serving in obscurity. Nothing has been done for him. This is not a new story. We, we read this way back at the beginning of the book. Uh, God allowed Mordecai to be privy to some really top-level intel. This information that he received, we don't know exactly why or how he received it, but he got this choice tidbit, this detail in the life of the king. This allowed him to share it with Esther. Esther then shared it with the king. The king then, uh, of course, you know, got rid of these two guys, but, but that positioned Esther in a way that would not have been possible otherwise. And then the very next sentence not even the very next chapter, but the very next sentence we read, and then the king decided to raise up Haman to be second in command. And we're like, wait, what? After this guy just saved your life, this guy had been serving you, sacrificing, doing everything for you, everything he had given, he had given for the king, and then you go and you, you advance Haman over him after this? For years we hear nothing more about it. You can imagine what was going on in Mordecai's spirit. I can't believe he didn't. I can't believe he didn't even send a box of chocolates, a, a, a bouquet of flowers, a thank you card. Nothing. I got nothing for that. And then this evil guy, Haman, he gets promoted right over me. I loved, I served, I sacrificed, I gave, and who cares? That sound familiar to anyone? That wouldn't happen at our church, of course, but I've heard at other churches, this sort of thing happens all the time. People serve and they give and they sacrifice and they, they say after hours, they come in early and all they're doing, they're giving, they're giving, they're giving for the Lord. <laughs> and no one sees and no one even says, thank you. And they say, well, if no one's going to say thank you, then I guess I'll just take my toys and I'll go play in another playground. It happens over and over and over again, but not with God. Look at what happens, verse 2. 
It was found recorded. This is huge. Don't miss these few words. It was found recorded. It is always recorded. Everything you do for the Lord, every, every sacrifice, every gift, every hour you spend serving him, it is recorded by the Lord. In these days, what they're talking about in the Bible, in the Persian courtyard, there would have been, of course, the king and all the nobles, but there would have always been a historian. This historian, he would have written down every, every big event in the kingdom, Every, every decision the king ever made, he would even write down every single word the king ever spoke. We are now 12 years into the reign of Xerxes. Can you imagine how many books that must have filled? So when King Xerxes, hey, go grab me one of those books off the shelf and read me something boring so I can finally get to sleep. What are the chances that his servant went up? I'm picturing a wall of books. What are the chances that this servant reaches up and grabs that one book where the story of Mordecai is in it? He flips open that one book where we have Mordecai mentioned, and he turns to the exact page where Mordecai is talked about. He picks up that exact page, and he, he, he reads down and finds the exact story. What are the chances of that happening by accident? God remembers every single word you ever spoke. Every single act of obedience you ever took, every single sacrifice you ever gave, every single gift, every single uh, act of service you've ever done for him, for the church, for, for your faith. God remembers all that. In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 says it this way, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. There is nothing forgotten. That word forgotten, now we're in the New Testament, so it's Greek. Remember, that Greek word for forgot means uh, when, someone, um, when, when someone forgets something or drops something because they don't even care about it. You know, if something's precious to you, like your, your iPhone that costs like 10000 bucks now, your iPhone is precious, you, you take care of it. If, if it's an old Nokia, you might just chuck it on the table. But not this thing because you paid all kind of money for it. This is what God's saying. Your, your, your acts, your words, your decisions, your sacrifice for me, it is precious to me. I don't let it just fall to the ground. I hold on to that. I write down every single word, and I remember it. The problem is there are two problems here. Some of us believe that we are serving and no one is seeing. And some believe we are serving and we're not seeing the results. In fact, to help me understand what that looks like, I have two special guests that are going to come up front now. In fact, ladies, would you all come up, please, real quick? These are our, 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 our folks that are serving God in other places, actually all the way on the other side of the world. And they are bringing a, 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 an opportunity for us to ask them a couple questions. I'm going to do it kind of interview style. Um, and I, right here in the middle, thank you, my brother. You guys are so sweet. Thank you. Come on, ladies. They want to see you, not me. Get my questions. And the microphone's right back there. Thank you so much. Exactly right. Thank you. Let me just turn it on, make sure it's on for you. All right. I don't even know if they've met each other yet. Come on in the middle so they can see y'all. All right, uh, folks, we have uh, two awesome ladies here. So, uh, one you may know already. Caitlin, you probably haven't met yet. Mark and Marsha, where are y'all? Oh, that, yeah, proud mommy and daddy. They've just moved to the area. They've just become a part of our church, and their daughter is just now visiting for the first time here. So we're all getting to know her better. So I thought, what a great opportunity to get to know these two ladies and hear a little bit of their story. I promise this is just to whet your appetite. I hope that you uh, belong group leaders and, and, and Bible study leaders, you'll take this opportunity to hear their story and invite them to be a part of your small group. But 
just real quickly, I want to ask them three questions because we're talking about, ladies, we're talking about serving when no one notices or serving when no one sees. So just really briefly, if you want on both of you, share for our folks, wh- what does ministry look like where you guys live? Melissa, would you go first, please? Um, yeah, so I work and live in the Arabian Gulf. Um, and for us, it's a lot of, we, we have regular jobs. And in those jobs, we take opportunities to share who Christ is to witness to people. Um, Our goal on my island is to have um, a growing body of believers on every island and every village within walking distance of every home. And so we work to get into villages, we work to get into people's homes and to get to know them. And as we sit around drinking tea and coffee, we share Christ. Amen, amen. Caitlin? Um, So mine looks very similar. I have a full-time job at one of the colleges in my country. So my ministry looks like going to work, lesson planning, teaching lessons. Um, And then, yeah, in my afternoons, evenings, and the weekends, uh, getting up into the mountains with friends, getting into villages, um, drinking tea, and sharing Christ as much as possible. Just living life on life. Amen. Well, now, where they live, you may or may not know this, it's a very different ministry field than, for instance, where our family lived in Western Europe. Uh, we have a family, Sean and Shelley Blackson. They live in Panama. Uh, so each mission field looks very different. I happen to know that where they live, uh, things grow very slowly. It's very difficult work. Um, rather than seeing just a gob of folks coming to Christ and getting baptized, they may see just one or even two a year. And so, so how do you ladies deal with that? Being in that kind of a ministry mindset and ministry paradigm, how do you deal with serving and serving and serving and not always, quote-unquote, seeing success or growth? I think first thing you have to reevaluate what success looks like because we often view success as numbers and that's not really the way God sees success. He sees it through faithfulness. So if I'm faithful to do what he tells me to do and if I step out in that faith and do the work, then I'm there's success there. But I also think something I've learned over the last 20 years is I don't have to see what he's doing to know that he's doing something. And he's taught me that in many ways. But I often want to know and see and follow the path and see the end result. And he keeps telling me, just trust, just trust. I'm doing something. Amen. Um, For me, I think of uh, what Jesus told us was the two greatest commandments. And so those are to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so my measure of success is that. Am I loving the Lord and am I loving my neighbor? Um, And that's how I can know I'm seeing success. It's not my job to, you know, look at perceived fruit of what I think is is success. But yeah, what am I loving God? Am I loving my neighbor? Wow, beautiful ladies. One more question and I'll I'll let you go. Thank you so much. For for some of our folks here at church or or just Christians that still live in the States, uh, how would you encourage them if they feel they're serving in in a capacity or a different area in ministry here locally and they're not seeing something or maybe they're not they're not receiving the the appreciation that, that they might think they should receive. How would you encourage them in that? Um, one of my favorite songs right now is, uh, I don't know who wrote it, but Andrew Peterson sings it and it's uh, titled, Is He Worthy? And so the, the lyrics just, um, go on, is creation groaning? Yes, it is. But is a new creation coming? Yes, it is. And is he worthy? Yes, he is. And so even if we don't see again, our perceived fruit, um, he's worthy. (laughs) Yeah, I often use the story of Abraham and Sarah. They didn't see what God was doing. They didn't understand. 
everything. And when we stepped out in our, and when they stepped out in their own ways, it, it messed things up just a little. But if they had just had faith to know that God is doing something, again, it's a, there's another song, Waymaker. I don't have to know what he's doing. I don't have to see what he's doing to know that he's doing something. Yeah. And just reminding people of that through scripture and through stories. Even the story of Esther is another great example of how, you know, Esther didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know what God was going to do. Mordecai didn't know what the end results would be, but they just kept doing what they were called to do. And just knowing that that, that faithfulness is there, you know, it's, it's just the way God works. Amen. Ladies, let's encourage them both for being here. Thank you both. Fantastic. Thank you, ladies. Oh, my goodness. Now you know why missionaries are my favorite people in the whole world. God bless you both. Enjoy your time with family. I pray that you will be refreshed and renewed and recharged before you go back. So please, folks, church family, love on them while they're here. Encourage them. Hug their necks. Invite them uh, for a meal to share with your family, your small group. This is your opportunity to, to hear their stories a little bit better. I, I, I hated to give you such a little time, but y'all did an excellent job. Thank you so much. So, so there are times when we serve in obscurity, or at least in our minds, in our, in our flesh, we think it's obscurity. But just as these ladies reminded us, it is not in eternal obscurity. God sees it all. But there are times and we need to understand who we are serving or, or what king we are serving. Look at verses 4 through 10. 4 through 10 in chapter 6. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? What do you think Haman's thinking? <laughs> You're exactly right. Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest. I mean, he's got it all figured. Royal crest placed on his head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on this horse through the city streets. And oh, that's not all. He should proclaim before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Wow. He's got it all figured out. Old Haman knew exactly what he was doing. But the problem was Haman had gotten a little bit ahead of himself on this one. I mean, he had already figured it out. He had already gotten a plan. He had already uh, ran ahead with this whole plan to murder Mordecai because he hated Mordecai and he loved himself. It, this, this love for himself had pushed him down a very dangerous path. In fact, it had gone so far that he had built these gallows, this pole, to kill Mordecai in his own backyard with his own money. He must have been up all night long uh, watching the, co the contractors and the workers. Obviously, it wasn't Cape Coral because he thought of it one day and did it the next. But, but he was doing this. I'm very sorry I said that. I didn't mean that. It just came out. I'm sorry. So he was, he was, he was doing this thing, and, and you know he was up all night long. Hey, guys, don't step on my wife's flowers and, and, and get your stuff out of the, out of the back, and, and don't, don't go swimming in the pool. Uh, you know, all this stuff he's doing. I mean, he had it all figured out, and he couldn't let it go. This was a real peek into his heart, though, when, when the Bible says, listen, look at this, what it says. Now, hate, verse 6, 
Now, Haman thought to himself. Now, in English, we would have said he thought because we, in, in our modern day times, we use our head to think. Back then, in Hebrew times, they would have said their heart. In fact, in Hebrew, it says he thought in his heart, but that doesn't translate into English. So we, we said we thought, he thought about it. Really, he was thinking in his heart. So in his heart, we are getting a glimpse into the heart of this evil man. We're getting a glimpse into the heart of what this guy really wants. And what he really wants is to kill Mordecai, to impale him on this thing. Why in the world wouldn't he have gone? That's why he came. That's why he stayed up late. That's why he woke up early. That's why he was so emboldened. This is what he wanted. This was the one thing that was missing in his whole life was to come and to kill Mordecai. And he finally gets the opportunity, I'll give the, the one that I honor anything he's asked for. All he has to do is say, I want to kill Mordecai. And the king says, great, go for it. And the king says, wait, what? This is a problem. He couldn't get out of his own skin. He couldn't, he couldn't take an easy win. He always had to go for his own greatness. He was so close to getting what he really wanted, but he just couldn't stop being self-centered in fact, I believe he had a God complex. He was already second in command. He already had the ear of the king. But what he really wanted was the king's throne. It wasn't enough. It was never enough. It won't be enough till he sits on that throne. And then guess what? Even that won't be enough. Does this story sound at all familiar to a, a guy that got kicked out of heaven back in the Bible? Lucifer was his name. It wasn't enough to be one of the, king's, the king of kings' right-hand man or to serve the, the creator of the universe. This joker wanted to be the king of kings and sit on that throne, and God cast him out. This Haman has a Lucifer problem, and he wants more. Here's a problem in our churches, folks. This Haman mentality creeps its seditious way into our Christian communities all the time. People say they're serving the king. People say they're serving God. People say they're serving the church. People say they're serving their faith, but in reality, they're serving their own idea of who they are. They are addicted to human praise. They have a martyr complex. Sure, they'll sacrifice even five or six hours on a Sunday or a Saturday or during the week, but it's not for God. It's to bring the attention to themselves. We, even in our churches, have a Haman problem because we appear to serve God, but really we are serving ourselves. Folks, we must look at why we serve. What king are you serving? And then finally, we need to understand that... Uh, that Haman finally gets his. Haman's last supper is all the way in chapter 7. This is a big finish we've been waiting for. This is a big switch that we've been waiting for. This is a great reversal. Justice is finally going to be served. There's so much going on. There's so much our two, our two heroes have done up to this point. They played their roles superbly. Mordecai, he has been the, the mentor to Esther, the loving father to Esther, the protector of Esther. He's also been the, the challenger of Esther to kind of push her out of her nest to do great things for God. Esther also, our other hero of the story, she's done everything she was supposed to do. She rose to the challenge. She used her God-given gifts, her beauty, and her brains to, to take this step of faith at just the right time, that moment that God had intended before the beginning of the universe, and she does it. But here's the deal. This big switch, this big reversal, this, this, this big uh, event that happens in the story, it's beyond our two heroes. The I believe the most important 
a key to this entire story happens between the king and Haman. Let me read. We're going to jump all the way to chapter 7. In fact, let me give you just a little backstory to catch you up. For time's sake, we can't read everything for homework. Go ahead and read 6 to the end and the beginning of chapter 7. But, but after, after uh, Mor- uh, Mordecai is led through the streets by Haman, and he, he goes home in shame. His wife and his friends, they say, Aha, see, now you've gone too far. You're, look what your pride got, in, got you into. Uh, there's shame on you. These Jews, they will be your end, your destruction. At that moment, the servants of the king come and say, Haman, hurry. You're late for the banquet. Let's go. They get there to the banquet. The king asks Esther one more time, hey, what is it you want? What are you asking for? She says, here's what I want. I want the freedom for me, Mordecai, and my people because we're going to be annihilated. Who in the world would annihilate you? That's where we start. Reading chapter 7, verse 5. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Esther said, An adversary and an enemy. This vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified, you think? Before the king and the queen. The king got up in a rage. He left his wine. Not a good sign. And went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing the king had already decided his fate, he stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the words left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, the one who spoke up to help the king. The king said, Impale him on it, or your Bible might say, Hang him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. The moment we've all been waiting for. Everyone gets, well... The part where Mordecai gets what he deserves coming, but, but at least Haman finally gets what he deserves. Justice is served, the last supper of Haman. But why did the king, how interesting, why did the king walk out right in the middle of this crazy episode? I mean, you'd think he had all the proof he needed. His trusted and his love and his gorgeous queen Esther had just spoken from her heart. He could tell she meant every word of it, and yet, and yet he takes off into the garden, In fact, in such a rush, he leaves his wine. The king never left his wine. This must be serious. What is he doing? Well, maybe, maybe he realized what a fool he had been. I mean, what an an idiot he must have been, not only to have Haman trying a stunt like this, but the king was the one who had placed Haman in a position second in command right next to his own ear. This kind of a guy in that position, maybe he was afraid there was going to be some kind of repercussions. Maybe if this Haman was bold enough to pull a stunt like that, maybe Haman already has a whole army outside waiting to come and kill the king, and he's finally going to get the throne like he's always wanted. Maybe he was thinking, I'm not really that good of a leader. The only reason why I've stayed in power this long is because Haman's taken care of all the dirty work. How is this going to go? Whatever he was thinking about, he had all the time in the world to think. As he comes back in, we're, we're pretty sure, he's pretty sure what he's going to do, but that he sees it. <laughs> Haman 
in fact, probably the only bad act he didn't really even mean to do. He's, he's so desperate for, for someone to save his life, he, he literally falls on the couch. That's where she would have been laying or reclining in this banquet. Please save me. Please don't let him cut off my head. And it looks like something is not. And he's like, oh, no, you didn't. And so he says, off with his head. Hang him on it, he says. Isn't that just like God? <laughs> God's not afraid to orchestrate even the smallest detail. If God, if God is pulling the string, if God is putting these puzzle pieces together, do you think God is too busy to even throw in this extra one as if he, he really needed just one more push to, to make the hard decision he had to make? No, it's not too small for God. God threw in this detail to remind you and me that God orchestrates everything in our lives to put us in a place and to push us uh, over the proverbial edge to make the decisions that he is calling us to make. Yes, there have been great acts of bravery. There have been great acts of obedience. There have been great acts of sacrifice by, by Mordecai and Esther up to this point. But this one line, hang him on it, is the powerful turning point we have been looking for in this story. The, 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 the evil Haman, he has had power over Mordecai and Esther and his people. This evil is still pressing towards victory until this line comes. Within 11 months, all the Jews were going to be wiped out regardless of all Mordecai and Esther had done up to this point. Not until we hear the words, hang him on it, was evil defeated. Not until we hear the words, hang him on it, do we know that death and destruction has been defeated. Haman's control over Mordecai, Haman's control over Esther, Haman's control over the Jews, and even one day over the king was defeated and finished when we hear this. Folks, if I had the opportunity, we had the time, I would grab each one of you by the shoulders and I would shake you just a little bit and I would ask the question, how long will you let this evil, that sin, control you? I would grab my own shoulders and I would shake me. And I'd say, how long will you allow that sin of, uh, of greed or, 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 or jealousy or, or, or lust or whatever your sin of choice is? How long will you allow that to have control over you? Hang it on a tree. The last few words of this chapter are very telling. The very end, we read the words from the king. Hang him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. This is important. This isn't just like a, a, a nice wrapping up of the story, a, a throwaway line, if you will, a, a, and they lived happily ever after kind of a line. No, I believe this is a warning for you and for me. The, when did the king's fury subside? The king's fury subsided when evil was defeated and hung on that tree. We don't often talk about this side of God, do we? We think about God as the, the nice grandpa in the sky. He's there when we need him. But he gives us lots of running room when we think we can handle things on our own. He is a holy God. There is no room for sin in his presence. His wrath is reserved for those who reject his invitation and his forgiveness. There is only one way for his wrath to subside. Sin must be covered as with Haman's face. 
and is with the blood of Jesus Christ. And the old David, the old me, must die. And the new David, the new me, must live. There must be a covering. There must be a death if the wrath of God is to subside. Family, in your heart, it's time, like Haman, to ask the question, Have I allowed God to cover my sins with the blood of Jesus Christ? Have I allowed God to to crucify my old self so that the new creation that he has made me to be may live? I believe there are some of us here who have not yet taken that step. We're going to close out our service this morning with something we don't often do is is a good old-fashioned invitation. If you've been around church for a while, you probably know what that means, but we're going to hear a song, and we're going to stand up, and we'll be some, there'll be some moments of silence. If you, uh, if you know that God's been calling you to, uh, to cover your sins with the blood of Jesus Christ and to, to ask him to crucify your old self so that your new you, the new creation he's created you to be, can live, this is your opportunity to do that. We would love to be a part of that important, the most important step in your entire life. Little little spoiler alert, we're getting ready to have a baptism service in September. This is perfect timing for that service. We would love for you to be a part of that. Or maybe God's been wrestling with you, stirring something in your heart, blessing you with a few sleepless nights lately. And you know it's because God's doing something. He's getting you ready for a big change, a big switch and you want to come down, maybe get some prayer. We often invite folks to go back in the back for prayer. I'd like to ask those, those prayer counselors just to kind of meet me in the front uh, right after this prayer. And, uh, and we'll just give you guys an opportunity. I didn't warn you ahead of time, so don't worry. You don't, if you come forward, you don't have to say anything out loud. <laughs> no one will make you stand on the stage. But we just want to give you that opportunity to respond as God has been speaking to you. This is your opportunity. Don't miss this opportunity. God called Esther, God called Mordecai way before they were ever hero material. Look what he made out of those two. He will do the same in your life as well. Let's pray. Father God, you have called us to this place to hear your word. You've called us to this place to understand your word. You have called us to this place to respond to your word. Father, as you've been speaking, as you've been stirring As you've been churning things up in our spirits, God, now is our time to respond. Father, I pray for an extra abundance of courage for those that are sensing something right now in their heart. If you would have them uh, so boldly step out and walk forward to talk to one of our counselors here, God, I pray that you would encourage them to do that. God, we so long to be obedient to your word. We so long to be obedient to your call on our lives. God, if this is something you want for any one of our folks, I pray that you would encourage them to do that. Take this opportunity this morning to make make permanent what they've already been sensing in their hearts. God, we thank you for Esther. We thank you for Mordecai and all that you did in their life. But, Father, we believe you are able and capable and desiring of doing that same thing in our lives today. So please, God, call out more Esthers, more Mordecais, in your church today. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.